0: We have a fun episode for you today on navigating scientific conferences. Ooh. So we have some hot takes from David, ow, uh, ow. <laughs> from professors David Schiffman, Holly Bick, and Taya Finney. Um, with Professor David Schiffman, we will be talking about the conference or the article that he wrote about tips to attend conferences, and he has some really interesting advice for that.
1: With Professor Holly Bick, we will be talking about the fashion side of how to dress for scientific conferences and dress professionally and some of her tips and tricks on how to best do that and put your best foot forward. We also talk with Taya Finney about her first experiences with academic conferences and specifically a little bit more about the International Society of Biomechanics conference that will be coming up in Calgary.
0: Yeah, so feel free to skip around to what you find will be the most interesting or relevant to you. Because we have so much on the schedule today, we're not going to have a bit of Boom, but um, instead, just go straight into our interviews. So on Boom, um, in this episode, we have a new friend on the podcast, uh, Francesco Orrelli. Hi, who- Hi.
2: <laughs>
0: um, Francesco is a PhD student in statistics at ETH Zurich, and we're really excited to have some collaboration with you between Biomechanics on Our Minds and your podcast, Dr. U.
3: I'm excited as well. Thank you, Melissa, and thank you, Joanna, for having me. I'm having a podcast about uh, topics related to PhD studies um, sent from the College Radio of ETH. And um, I'm very happy to join you for this episode about conferences and networking at conferences. We discuss slash are going to discuss some some tricks and tips with um, David Schiffman. And I will be very, very happy to try them out at the summer school I'm attending in two weeks.
0: Yeah, we're excited to see... um... How it goes, are you trying those tips and tricks out, and Hannah and I will try them out at the um International Society of biomechanics conference
1: and then we'll recap our experiences on your podcast, Dr. You
0: just quickly since your uh people on this podcast that are listening to this podcast might not know about you um one question that I thought was really fun that you asked on an interview um was uh what are the three emojis that describe you? And so I thought maybe that would be a fun way to... Just quickly get to know, <laughs> get to know you. What are your three
4: emojis?
3: <laughs> okay, describing me or, the, or describing being my podcast?
0: Ooh, oh, either one. Yeah, whichever one you feel most comfortable. Yeah, with you can story. mix and match too.
3: So describing, um, let's say, describing my podcast, I would say is this group emoji because there is always a guest and uh, so I and the listeners get to know new people all the time and this is really enriching, really interesting. Then I would say like the laughing emoji because uh, it's a lot of fun and uh, radio emoji because i i like a lot this audio this um, radio communication audio communication i think it's really cool and so that's it
0: (laughs) that's awesome thank you thank you yeah so again we'll have um the tips of the conference on biomechanics on our mind and then we're going to have a follow up on dr you francesco's podcast um that will be released shortly after the conference
3: Exactly, and uh, I will be very, very happy to discuss with you how it went in trying out these tips and tricks at um, the International Society of Biomechanics conference that mm-hmm. we're going to have at the beginning of August, right? Yes. Right. And at the summer school, I'm going to have in two weeks, I'm very excited and very stressed. <laughs> so, Don't be uh, stressed.
1: It'll be lots of fun.
3: I hope so. Let's see how it's gonna go.
1: Now you have the tips for
4: success.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So now the three of us are going to interview David Schiffman from Simon Fraser University on some tips on navigating conferences and advice for students attending.
3: Very interesting. Listen carefully.
1: All right, so today we're going to talk with David Schiffman, who has a PhD in ecosystem science and policy. He is an interdisciplinary marine conservation biologist, and his research focuses on the
0: ecology and conservation of sharks and rays. Uh, But today, we're going to be talking about navigating conferences with David. So thank you for talking with us about, um, about this topic today.
5: Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
0: Do you remember your first conference?
5: I have been to so many now. <laughs> I, I, during my, during graduate school, I attended thirty seven conferences, which is unusually high. But it does mean I have a lot of tips and tricks to share. I believe the first conference I attended was the American Elasmobranch Society conference in uh, in Portland, Oregon, and that's an annual conference uh, for one of my professional societies—a society focusing on the science and management of sharks and rays and it rotates locations. I've since become a member of the board for that meeting. But that was a great first meeting to have because many scientific conferences are uh, sort of overwhelming and not particularly welcoming to newcomers, and AES is generally the opposite of that. It's very student-friendly, it's very newcomer-friendly, and I really felt welcomed and like I was a part of the group.
0: That's great.
3: So how came that you decided to go to your first conference?
5: I had long been convinced of the value of scientific conferences, uh, and I am Mr. Internet. I use social media tools for just about everything. I, I uh, But I, I don't think that telepresence will ever replace the need for in-person meetings of a large group of colleagues. Uh, so, and I had asked around and I had heard that this was a good one to attend. Uh, it, I was the, only, at the time, the only person in my master's program studying sharks and rays. Uh, I could get a lot of great feedback on statistics and making figures and how to publish papers from my colleagues. But when it came to the specific study organism and study system that I worked in, I really needed to branch out to find a broader group of, uh, or another independent group of scientists. So this was a group, uh, a conference that was recommended to me. And I have, I have been back every year since, and I'm going to this year's in a couple of weeks, which will be in Snowbird, Utah. Oh,
3: wow. wow. So basically we can say for networking and for getting feedback
5: on your research. Yes, absolutely. Scientific conferences are valuable for professional networking. They're uh, especially if you are interested in pursuing a different level of graduate school or a faculty position or a postdoc later in your career. Uh, But also even just to know who the other people in your field are, if you have a specific technical question or something, getting feedback on your own research is incredibly valuable. Getting to see what everyone else is up to is incredibly valuable and can give you a lot of good ideas uh, for your own research, which may even involve collaborating with the people that you meet at conferences.
0: What are some ways that you get feedback on your research at
5: conferences? So typically you give a talk or, or a poster discussion and you present your research and there's time for questions and answers after. And... Typically, if someone has a major concern about your research, unless they're a huge jerk, they won't ask that in front of a whole auditorium of people. They'll approach you later. Uh, but sometimes uh, you you will get suggestions uh, in, in, in the question and answer period in the form of, this is really interesting. Have you considered taking this approach to it? And I found those sorts of questions to be incredibly valuable for my own research. And also, when people approach me later at the pub that night and say, hey, I don't want to ask this in front of everyone, but uh, you should maybe consider doing this instead of that. And I almost always say, wow, what a great idea. Thank you. And usually I even mean it.
0: Usually,
1: <laughs> 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 Like, so in preparing for all of these different conferences, are there certain strategies you use? Or like, I mean, aside from maybe preparing your talk, yeah. are there other things you do to get ready for the conference?
5: Absolutely. To make the most out of a conference, it is really, really important that you look over the schedule in advance and find the things that are most critical that you definitely want to be sure to attend because you can't do everything. It's not possible. There are limits to what the human body can tolerate and you can only see through so many dozen PowerPoint talks in a week-long period. And some of the larger conferences, there are what are called concurrent sessions, which means in a given time slot in five or 10 or 20 rooms, there are five or 10 or 20 different talks happening. So you want to make sure that you identify the ones that you absolutely can't miss the people you definitely want to get a chance to talk to uh, and plan out in advance. If you are just wake up in the morning, right before the days the day's events are supposed to start, especially if you've been out celebrating the night before you may feel a little overwhelmed and later go, Oh my God, there was one talk in this whole conference that was the most critical for me to attend. And I missed it because I wasn't paying attention to the schedule. That's no good.
0: Right. Right. So do you have a problem where you want to attend multiple sessions at one time? And do you have any suggestions for what to do in those situations?
5: That definitely happens. Uh, and ideally, if you are, if your research interests fall into a sort of typical stream, then you would not find concurrent sessions of different talks within that stream as lots of other people want to also attend both of those talks. But if you're like me and you have weird interdisciplinary interests, then you're the only one who cares about both those topics and they're not scheduling around you. (laughs) When that happens, something that you can do if you really just can't pick between two that are at the same time, they both sound so critical. They both sound so interesting. And one thing you can do is see which of the people, if any of them, you know better and reach out to them in advance and say, Hey, I really want to attend your talk, but this other talk that I absolutely have to see is happening at the same time. Is there any chance I could buy you a beer or coffee or something later and you could summarize your results for me? And I've done that a lot of times.
0: Yeah. Do you ever go between sections to try to? Okay.
5: Yeah. So uh, institutional norms vary on this between disciplines. But in my world of marine biology, fisheries management, conservation policy, it's considered pretty normal to do that. So if there's, if the morning session is, let's say 9.30 to 11 a.m. and there's talks every 15 minutes, uh, it's totally fine to go to a talk in room A from 9.30 to 9.45 and a talk in room C from 9.45 to 10. Uh, people do it all the time. As soon as someone says thank you right before their question and answer period starts, just sort of make a quick exit for the door. Uh, A good thing to do is to sit on an aisle so you don't have to disrupt people if you know you're going to be moving in and around. And a good thing to do is to don't do that while someone's talking. Uh, Like, as as I said, someone will give their time, they'll say, thank you, do you have any questions? At the thank you, do you have any questions? That's a great time to move. Uh, But when someone is saying, and the most important part of my conclusion is that's inevitably, inevitably when you'll knock over a chair and make a motion or something. So... Yeah, planning, planning ahead with this stuff. And some conference centers are massive, so much so that you absolutely cannot get from room A to room C in in a minute. Uh, that you, So you may need to make sure to get to a, a talk early. You don't want to be stumbling into a room out of breath uh, when a, a talk is halfway done.
0: Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, can, I just wanted to touch, pull back on when you said meeting up with somebody – or asking if somebody would meet up for coffee to talk about their work with you. Um, Do you do this, like, let's say there's somebody who's giving a talk that you're super interested in, but you just want to meet with them and talk, but you don't know them very well. Is there a best approach for asking them if they would talk with you further? That's a
5: great great question. And the one-on-one conversations that you can have, even if they're just for five or ten minutes in a coffee break session, are one of the most valuable parts of a conference. And the best way to ensure that you get to do that with the people that you want want to be sure to talk to is to look over the schedule in advance, identify ideally no more than three or four or five people for whom that's the case, and reach out to them in advance via email and say, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm a graduate student studying this. I see we're both gonna be at this conference. I was hoping I could meet you for a few minutes for coffee or something. And most people will say, sure, let's find a time. I know I'm busy Thursday afternoon, but any other day works for me. Uh, you can also just sort of approach them uh, in a coffee break. There's a, in, in a coffee break or at the, a social or just hang out in the hallway before things start, you'll see people. And you can go up to them and say like, hey, I saw your talk yesterday. It was really interesting. I had a couple questions. Do you have a minute? Uh, probably the person that you most desperately want to do that with will be someone who is always surrounded by a gaggle of admirers or former students or whatever. You'll never get a chance to talk to them. So reaching out in advance can be really helpful for those reasons. And there's a, there's a move you'll see at conferences uh, if someone is talking to someone else uh, and you want to indicate to them, I am interested in talking to you, but it's not an emergency and I don't want to disrupt it. Uh, I don't want to disrupt what you're doing now. You stand sort of like a step and a half back from them. And you'll see this in action, and it indicates to anyone who is not totally clueless, I'm next. I would like to speak to you, but do no rush. Do whatever you need now. And right. That's hard. It's very awkward to do that.
0: Uh, yeah.
5: If you don't, then you'll never get a chance to talk with some of the people.
0: That's good to say, too, so that people, when they are in a conversation with somebody who's very well-known and see someone doing that, hopefully they will have some awareness to kind of, you know, share yeah the time yes they and,
5: should um, and they probably somebody inevitably won't
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> no I, I wanted to connect uh to the to the article david wrote mm, yeah okay. because so in this article you wrote on southern fried science yes you you give you gave 10 tips for graduate students or let's say applicable also to Fresh PhD students, mm-hmm. as I am, for instance, to get the most out of this uh, of uh, first scientific conference, mm-hmm. and uh, so many of them relate to like skills um, that have to do with networking, right? Yes. For instance, what what you were mentioning now, um, the, not not being afraid to approach famous people or important people at this conference.
5: Yes, that's really important. They go to these conferences because they want to see what the next generation of scientists is up to. They want to meet you. And here's a here's something that hopefully is not too shocking for scientists in uh, or for scientists, the most important scientists in the world are actually not that important. They're not celebrities. They're not music. and they don't need to have this attitude of, "Oh, I'm too busy to talk with a student." and most of them don't so you can usually every once in a while there's there's a jerk in your field uh, most people yeah they absolutely are approachable to 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 uh or amenable to meeting with students and are very approachable and uh the presidents of the El- elasma bank society have a history of attending the student only social for a bit to make sure that the students get time to speak with the leadership of the society uh there's a lot of people who do things like that. So, yeah, th- don't be afraid to approach like, oh my god, there's a person here at this conference who's the biggest name in my field and I owned a book by them when I was 5 and I'm so glad I don't want to meet them. Like, if you don't go meet them, you're not getting the most out of the conference.
3: Do you have other other advice for a good networking activity at a conference?
5: So, uh, it's really, really, really important that you have your so-called elevator pitch down or elevator speech. If anyone is unfamiliar with this, the premise of this is you're in, at the hotel at your convention center, you're on the 10th floor, you get, uh, you're going down to the lobby, and on the ninth floor, this really, really famous person in your field gets on the elevator and says, oh, hi, I'm so-and-so, what do you do? And you have until the elevator gets to the lobby to talk to this person and impress them and make an important professional connection before the lobby opens and you might never see that person again in your life. So basically, that means you should be able to summarize your research in a sentence. 15, 20 seconds. And that takes practice. Uh, Even reading your conference abstract will probably take two and a half minutes. So that's not, you need a sentence. And it's really hard to do that. But even you can just say general methods. I'm interested in this subject. I work with so-and-so at this university. Let them ask for more information. When someone says, what do you do? They don't want to see a 10-minute thesis defense. They want, they want to have a conversation. And you're also, you're going to have to answer that question. So who are you? What do you do? Where are you? You're going to have to answer that question a thousand times. So if you can do it efficiently, it will be easier for everyone, including you.
0: Can we have an example of your 10-second <laughs>
5: sure. I, hi, I'm David. I'm based at Simon Fraser University. I study how fishermen perceptions of fisheries rules affecting sharks.
3: All right.
1: That's great. That was awesome. <laughs> I want to learn. About, I want to know how you do that.
5: <laughs> so the key to any of this stuff is practice. And the first time you do it, it's not going to work. There's no one who's just naturally gifted at this. There are some people who are better or worse than it than others, but it's something that you learn how to do and you practice. And if you just Google how to write an elevator pitch, uh, there are lots of basic tips on there. But basically, you're not at this point mentioning your key results. You're not mentioning at this point why you care about this. You're not mentioning at this point six or seven caveats about interpreting your results. You're saying this is the method I use. This is where I'm based. This is what I, the general one-sentence question I'm interested in. And people, if they're really interested in talking about more about that, they'll tell you. And if they're just there to make sure that the student who they've never seen before and is obviously a newcomer at the conference feels welcome, they probably don't care that much about what you do. They just want to make sure that someone's talking to you and that you get a chance to meet senior people. And that you, that should not be taken as an insult.
1: Yeah, that's a really important.
3: <laughs> so I think I don't have an end of the speech, but I think I'm going to prepare one for the summer school I'm attending next week. And I'll try out and let you know how how it went.
5: Good <laughs> oh, luck. Yeah, please let me know. Uh, the, you will find that there is inevitably someone in your social group, if you go with a whole lab or a whole department to a conference, who is extremely bad at this. And once you get good at it, it can be somewhat painful to watch. Someone flailing to answer a basic question like, so what do you do? And they start, they start launching into their master's thesis defense talk. Uh, so once you learn these things, when it's your first conference, focus on you making the most of it. When it's your second or third or 38th conference, as the case may be for me, focus on making sure the other people around you can benefit from your experience. So something that goes viral all the time on social media is, in academia, everyone is smart. You can distinguish yourself by being kind. And it's I. Uh, one thing I do at conferences now is I don't do this all the time because I go to conferences because I need to catch up with colleagues too. But at the opening social or something, I'll look around the room and see who looks like they don't know anybody and go and in, bring invite them over to a group that I'm talking with. Or I'll look around the room and say, I've never seen that person before. And I've been to the last 10 of these conferences. They must be new. And we'll go and introduce myself to them. Uh, and a lot of more people, more senior than me, also do some version of that. But there are also times when I need to be talking with colleagues about a somewhat in-depth professional technical matter. And I've had people approach me during those times that they just want to talk, um, or they just wanted to meet me, and I'll and they seem upset when I say, "Can can we meet later?" I'm in the middle of something. Uh, so,
0: mm-hmm. so not taking that personally. Yes. Yeah.
5: Yeah, so there are people who are genuinely jerks. there are people who are genuinely jerks to you and not to other people uh, but most people are there to do the right thing to make themselves available for students. Uh, it's mostly mostly a positive experience. There are uh, some there are, there will always be some jerks. Another thing for students in particular partic- particularly for young women students, Uh, You should see if the conference you're attending has a code of conduct. Uh, A code of conduct governs appropriate behavior, particularly, but not exclusively, with respect to sexual harassment of senior academics towards grad students who don't look like they don't know anyone yet. Uh, This is a major problem in some fields, including mine. So make sure that you know what the rules are and make sure you know who to go to if you feel uncomfortable or unsafe. And I wish I didn't have to say that but uh, it's an, lately a more and more important thing to consider. And many conferences are developing codes of conduct. Some don't have the yet, And if the, your conference doesn't have a code of conduct, it's worth asking why at the membership meeting.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. a really good point. And we really appreciate you bringing that up to talk about. Um, I don't know that we would have
1: thought, thought about that.
0: it otherwise. So yeah. I haven't
1: seen that tip like Melissa's kind of compiled a lot of different tips from people about attending conferences and I don't think that one's come up yet. So thank you for sharing
5: that. There are unfortunately bad people, bad actors in our world. And one of the things that people who are serial bad actors are very, very, very good at doing is identifying people who would be good targets, look like they don't know anyone who look lost, who look overwhelmed who perhaps won't be aware of what the rules are and who to go to if they feel unsafe. Uh, so ideally no one will be targeted by anything like that because it'll be a safe and respectful and responsible and professional environment, but you don't want to be the target. Right.
1: Maybe on shifting, like a, a little bit more positive note, one of your <laughs> tips from the article was not eating alone. And I think not that it plays into it, but like, um, I guess, do you just want to explain that tip a little more and what you mean specifically, like, or how you should combat sure. that by not eating?
5: Yeah. So the yeah. not eating alone is more of a networking tip than a safety tip. Uh, but I'd really. Be I see. But basically, uh, a lot of work at these meetings, a lot of the networking and a lot of the fun happens at lunch or at dinner. And if you don't know that many people yet, and your plan is, oh, I'll just make this city is expensive. I'll just go make peanut butter sandwiches in my hotel room you're missing out on a major part of the networking opportunities. I've written, I think, written or co-written three papers in bars at conferences. Uh, The, so if a group of people is indeed going to a place that is out of your budget, uh, you genuinely cannot afford to do that and you should not be going into debt of any kind to attend these conferences, uh, then you can still go just to chat with them and maybe get us an appetizer or a sign and then go home and eat a peanut butter sandwich. Mm-hmm, yeah.
1: yeah. But just being aware
5: is all, yeah. the, all the So day. much important conversation happens at these, at these meals. And you will see right before the lunch break or right before the dinner break or whatever, sort of amalgamations of people gathering that are clearly going off to do things. And if you genuinely don't know anyone at these meetings, pick one at random and say, hey, I don't really know anyone here. Do you mind if I join you guys for a meal? And they might say, actually, we're a working group for a particular project, and our conversation is confidential. That's fine. That's not an insult. Or they might say, yeah, sure, join us. Uh, I made a lot of good friends doing that. And I also, when I'm going out with a group of friends, if I see someone who looks like they don't know anyone, I'll invite them to tag along. Uh, this gets out of hand very quickly. Most restaurants cannot deal with a group of 30 people who all want separate checks and all want their food and in and out in an hour. But... Um, it can be a really great way to do things. Something to be uh, aware of is a lot of senior academics or just generally who have financial security of some degree in uh, in general, they'll just say, oh, we don't need the individual checks, we'll just split the check. But like they got the lobster and filet mignon and you got a side salad. One thing you can do in that situation is carry cash with you. And before the bill is, is settled, you can say, hey, I just got the side salad. Here's 10 bucks. I got to run to make another meeting. It was so nice to meet you, uh, which is sneaky, but it works. Uh, don't skip out on the check, though there will be some people that will offer grad students food. Uh, usually we'll buy grad students a beer or something. But you, you can't count on that. Your uh, university lab should ideally be giving you some stipend for food. If uh, not, mm-hmm. just be careful. Um, But I would would say if you are avoiding going out for meals for budget reasons, you're missing out on huge professional networking opportunities and you can always eat a peanut butter sandwich later and just go and sit and talk with people at lunch.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Um, Are there any other, is there any other advice that you would like to add about conferences um, or anything else you'd like to add?
5: Yeah. Well, just with conferences, preparation is key and it should be fun. It should not be scary. And I know I'm a huge extrovert and not everyone is, but if it's scary, if it's genuinely causing you medical levels of anxiety, that's harming you, you're doing something wrong or your supervisor is doing something wrong. It should not be so stressful that it causes physical reactions. Uh, And, if you are feeling overwhelmed, it's okay to sit out an afternoon session and go take a nap or go for a walk. Uh, it's you know no one literally no one attends every single session. It's not possible. The human body has limits to its endurance. Uh, I, I find I can do attending every session and going out at night with people to celebrate. Uh, I used to be able to do that for about five days, and now I can do it for about three days before I just need a break. <laughs> the key is planning that break in such a way that you're not missing your best friend giving a talk or your boss giving a talk or your lab mate giving a talk or the per- the talk that's most relevant to your professional interest. So that's just planning.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing all these tips. And- um if, if people have questions or people listening want to find you or follow your work, um, we just wanted to share, can we share your Twitter handle? Absolutely.
5: Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's the same for everything. Why sharks matter, all one word. I'm always happy to answer any questions that anyone has about sharks or any questions that anyone has about surviving graduate school.
1: Great. Thank you so much, David, for
0: joining us. And Thanks for having me. For yeah. Yeah. Thank you for the great advice.
3: Yeah, I'll try. Good luck. Have fun out there.
0: Oh, thank you. (laughs) So right now we are talking with Dr. Holly Bick, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Nematology at the University of California, Riverside. She obtained her PhD in molecular biology at the University of Southampton, Southampton, in the UK. Thank you for talking with us, Holly. Thanks for having me. So we found Holly from a really interesting blog post. So your blog post was called um, "Dressing for Interviews: Finding Your Style and Why You Need to Think About Your Clothes." And we thought that so this is kind of an older blog post, I think from twenty thirteen. Um, we, we found it super interesting, especially because I think a lot of times in science and scientific conferences or you don't always put as much thought into what we're wearing but I was kind of wondering um what inspired you to write this blog post and um kind of some of the important things that you find in like in how you dress for for a scientific conference
4: yeah I guess um so I love fashion I guess I would say that off the top Um, but you know Science generally, as a discipline, is not the most fashion forward. You know, if uh, you go to conferences, people don't necessarily um, put on business attire, even. It's very casual. Um, so I was trying to find a way to really merge my own personal style with something that's kind of professionally appropriate. So, I mean, in an ideal world, I guess I would dress like Lady Gaga, but I don't think I could give a talk like that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, try, trying to find like clothes that I'm happy with that make me feel great and make give me confidence, um, but are also professionally appropriate for scientific settings. And don't put off, um, you know, senior scientists, because there are power hierarchies in science. And, you know, we all know about gender bias issues, and the challenges that women face in science. So um, tr- yeah, trying to strike a balance between something that you're happy with, but it is also appropriate for that professional sphere. Um, so I guess I've just thought a lot about this over the years. And- and um, thankfully, I think since 2013, things have gotten a lot easier in terms of fashion because there's all of these startup companies and online resources now that you can use that definitely didn't exist back in 2013. Um, to the point where you can really experiment with things at home and um, you know find styles that work for you and try different things before you even have to go to a conference. And it's for me, it's less mentally stressful too than going you know to the mall or to to stores for five hours at a time. Um, so I use nowadays I use subscription services like Stitch Fix and Rent the Runway, um, either buying clothes or renting clothes. And um, that's mainly where I get most of my professional fashion and, and work outfits from.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned too that expensive looking clothes can be affordable. And I was wondering if you have any tips for that, for how to still look really nice, but maybe, you know, like as grad students, we don't really have the budget for really nice clothing. Um, So I was wondering if you had any advice about that.
4: Yeah, for sure. So what I would recommend is I would try to find a brand that you like the style of and that really fits your body. And, um, you know, brands tend to have different price points and oftentimes they're available at a certain location. So for a while I was shopping at Nordstrom Rack, um, because they, they tend to have higher quality brands, um, but they are discounted or they're affordable. And I just, I, I tend to go with things like clothes texture, or, um, you know, if you, if you buy a piece of clothing from a brand and you wash it twice and it falls apart, then it's probably not worth it to invest. So I, I, I used to shop at H&M, I would say during grad school. And um, just over time, I was just really unhappy with the quality of the clothes because it's cheap but then you wash it once and the color fades or it falls apart and you know you're pumping it if if you buy like five outfits for $10, that's $50 that you spend on fashion that's going to fall apart at H&M. So I would say invest in fewer higher quality pieces. So maybe spend $50 on a really nice um, pair of pants or a nice dress, something that is, um, you, you know, you can dress up or dress down. So I would say versatility is also good. And a lot of the the higher end pieces, um, especially if you stick with more classic styles, you can, you can wear them to like a conference dinner, or you can dress them down, wear them out to the the bar on the weekends. So, um, think about price point and quality and then versatility. I really, yeah, that's a really good point
1: about dressing up and dressing down. I liked your little segment on using accessories to do that. And, um, I think that, I mean, being, I should preface that I am not a fashion, I feel like I'm not a fashionable bar person and i am not someone who loves to shop and try try things out but so maybe for some of our listeners who want to get sort of a lot of mileage out of an outfit maybe you want to talk about how you can do that and maybe how accessories can help with that
4: yeah i would also say i hate shopping with a passion <laughs> so i think a yeah. <laughs> if you like fashion you you like shopping no i avoid <laughs> stores like the plague amazon gets all my money um <laughs> I and mean, that's Yeah, I guess that's why I really love these subscription services, because I can just order a box. And then on the weekend, when I have time, I can, you know, have four or five accessories. So the great thing about um, some of these subscription services, or even just online shopping in general, I mean... I have made full use of returning things. And I think with the the transition to e-commerce, most stores nowadays will offer free return shipping on things. So oftentimes for accessories, um, especially I'll overbuy. So I might buy five to seven necklaces and try them all on and then maybe keep like two or three and return the rest. And, um, cause you know, you never know what things are going to look like on your body. And, you know, you know, sometimes you don't know the quality of, um, things that you get online. So, um, for people that are maybe unsure about what their style is or, you know, how something is going to look, um, make full use of the return window and don't feel bad about it because that's what it's there for, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And maybe just to be conscious of, um, even just like um, male listeners. <laughs> then like, I don't know if that's, that's, I'm not trying to make any assumptions about uh, people's preferences, but I tend to think that there's different um, might be different tips for different genders or different styles of how, what you're looking for. Do you have any
4: comments there or do you think all the same things apply? Um, um. I would say I would say most of the same things apply, and a lot of these services. I mean, some some are some are biased towards women's clothes, but the um, Stitch Fix does have mailboxes, so they yeah you can you can order and and try on different styles too, and I think there might be. Um, specific services for, for men's fashion too. So um, I, I, I find that online options are a lot more diverse and a lot more versatile than going into a store, especially in terms of sizing. And, um, you know, not not everyone wants feminine, dressy, flower type things. So, you know, your own personal style is going to vary too. And I think there's different websites. and And, and I think that's why the the advice to kind of find a brand that you really like. Cause personally, I find that if I, if I end up finding a brand that fits and works for me, I end up just buying all of their stuff and mm. uh, until they, you know, change their corporate strategy and change the sizing and the quality, you'll <laughs> find another brand. Um, And I think that's true for men's fashion too. My husband actually does the same thing because I've helped him try to find his conference fashion. He's a scientist. And we found a couple brands that really work well on him and really fit for him. It took a while because I think men's fashion is just really hard, especially in the US. Um, It's easier actually in Europe because there's more of... um, there's, there's more, there's more options like H&M and Topshop and, Top Shop and um, a little bit more fashionable options if you're that kind of, um, if you're, if you're a, a male that likes that kind of fashion. So it's a little bit harder in the US and some of the sizings are difficult for certain body types, but um, there's, there's definitely options online for, for whatever your style is.
0: That's awesome it seems like you're really involved in like science communication and social media. And as we're going into the upcoming conference, just to um, change the topic a little bit, um, I was wondering your thoughts on how important it is to be active and engaged in um, social media as a scientist.
4: Right. So this is always a tough question because people have really polarized opinions on social media. Um, I like it because it fits my personality and I sort of, I'm an extrovert and I enjoy the online conversations and um, it's kind of like um, uh, just a cocktail party all the time online and you can always chat to people. Um, it's a really good way to stay in touch with colleagues and collaborators too and just kind of see what they're up to. But I know that For some people, it's overwhelming and it might not necessarily fit with their own preferences or their personality. Um, So I would say you don't have to use social media, but personally, I have reaped a lot of um, you know, professional benefits from it. Um, I really enjoy it. I've gotten, I feel like I've expanded my scientific network. And for conferences in particular, I feel it's really good because um, oftentimes I'll look through the conference hashtag and I'll see who's going to be at an upcoming conference. Oftentimes there's a, a collaborator or colleague I haven't seen in a while that we're going to be at the conference at the same time. And, um, you know, so then I can email them and we can set up dinner or a coffee um, and just catch up. So that's a really nice way to just keep track of people Without bugging them. Um, and then also trying to reach out to new people that you maybe there's someone you've always wanted to meet and they're going to be at a conference. So um, social media is a really great way to serve as an icebreaker because no one likes networking and it's always awkward and um, especially if you're earlier in your career it can be there's that power dynamic and can be super intimidating to go up to you know someone more senior and try to talk science so um, social media is a great icebreaker because I feel like you have a conversation online beforehand and um, you can kind of gauge people's sense of humor and personality a little bit through um, through that channel so and and then you know if you're at the conference, you can kind of keep track of what's going on. Maybe there's a mixer or um, people are going out to dinner and you can kind of keep track of your social calendar, I guess, at a conference if you just look at the, the social media feeds. Um, but, you know, it's an option. You can do things the old way of um, in person at conferences and you can always email people. So it's not required, but I think it's definitely comp- complimentary and um, it enhances the conference experience for the right. better.
0: Awesome. Do you have any other conference tips that you would like to share?
4: I am a planner. So I always go through the conference book in depth beforehand. Usually if I, I get to the conference a night before um, and then I, I you know register right away and I just go through the book and highlight everything. Um, I don't know if everyone does that, but that's that's what I do because um, I like to. I, I don't like missing anything, so I just try to sketch out my schedule and also um, sketch out break times too. Because I feel like some of these bigger conferences get pretty overwhelming. So if there's an afternoon where you're not super interested in any of the talks or the events, just Block that off as a guilt-free time to go explore the city, or um, I'll go try to find a yoga class or something locally, and you know, in the conference city, and just you know, don't feel bad about not going to the conference for part of it because they're pretty overwhelming.
1: Yeah, those are really good tips because I feel like you can only handle so many talks or posters or whatever in one day.
4: <laughs> oh yeah, and your brain just starts melting yeah. <laughs> after a certain amount of information.
0: <laughs> yeah. And just just curious, what conference is upcoming that you're going to? The International Society of Biomechanics.
4: Oh, okay. So is that um, people that build cool robots <laughs> and
0: <laughs> sometimes no, a lot sometimes. of study, some of us, yeah. yeah. A lot of studying human movement and um, injuries. So there's like sports biomechanics. So there's also like musculoskeletal diseases like osteoarthritis and. Um, hannah studies parkinson's so there's a wide variety of of things
4: wow that sounds that sounds really interesting especially for such an interdisciplinary conference of just all these different things and disease disease biology and disease mechanics i guess i never thought of that as something that people study yeah and like even just like mobile health and like how like we track people's movement and health
1: on like large scales. I think is another crazy field that's part of biomechanics that I didn't
4: know existed. even. Oh, cool. I just, I was thinking of those Boston dynamics robots. Yeah. That, that that conference is actually
1: earlier, a little bit earlier this um, year and they were also in, I think Calgary or Canmore or something like that, but that exists too. (laughs) Yeah. So, and yeah, you're, yeah, your post was really awesome. And, um, I feel like dressing for a conference is a topic that you kind of feel like Ugh, about, it's like, Oh, I have to wear uncomfortable clothes or blah, blah, blah. But I feel like your post made it really fun and exciting and made it more about like, um, the process of actually finding what works for you. So I really liked that.
4: And I think if you find your style and you find clothes that you really like, it won't feel like a chore. It'll be like, you <laughs> wake up and you'll open your closet and you'll be so excited about what what do i get to wear today <laughs> yeah yeah that's awesome have you ever seen the show um oh what was it called what not to wear i know it's off the air now yes but there's stacy <laughs> yeah Stacey Clinton, i know <laughs> That show is actually awesome for people that don't really know their style. I, I actually learn a lot from that show because they are so good, especially with accessories. I mean, the things that they do to people just to kind of make an outfit. And also, um, <laughs> yeah. I know we're, we're kind of like, yeah, we were, we're finishing up, but I'm thinking no, more okay. things. Um, the, like a good haircut is actually really important too. And so, you know, yeah. if you, you can change your clothes, but if you're, you know, if your hair—if you're just going to supercuts and sort of getting your hair trimmed every two years, then you know it might not like work with the clothes. And I always think that on the the what not to wear um, show, when they do their hair and their makeup, it just completely changes the way they look.
0: That's so yeah, true.
4: That
0: so true. I have a hairstylist who, like, after she's just like, you have to go on a date tonight. Like, <laughs> it just like builds me up, and I'm like, I don't even know if this looks good, but you <laughs> make me <it look> good. <laughs>
4: Yeah, and finding the right hairstylist too is really difficult too because you don't know how bad some of them are (laughs) until you find a really, really good one. Yes, it's so true.
0: Going from like a, I was going to like Great Clips and then I went to somebody really nice. I had like a group on and he was like, Who did this to your hair? And I was like, I didn't know it was that bad.
4: oh yeah no great clips I got my bangs cut there once and they were probably the worst bangs I've ever had because oh. they were uneven and I was just trying like I had no time and I just needed them cut and then it was like I should have just waited and <laughs> gone to a proper salon and I know this was cheap but was it really well, worth was it worth it, it? yeah
1: yeah I like that uh, comment with about clothing like it doesn't ex- or yeah nice clothing doesn't have to be expensive and like don't just go for something because it's cheap it,
4: will end up falling apart on you. <laughs> yeah. And you can actually go for pretty long without a haircut. I mean, my, um, my, I just changed stylists a couple months ago and, and now she basically doesn't want me to get my haircut any sooner than three months because she's trying to do like a layering thing and grow it mm-hmm. out. So I I was just always, oh, I have to get my hair cut every six weeks, but I guess that's not the case. And if you get a cut that can grow out or you're trying to grow out your hair, you can actually save money by just not going to the hairdresser as as often.
0: There is some great advice and things that are challenging to talk about sometimes, even though it doesn't seem like it it would be, but but it can be. And I think that a lot of times we don't get advice on what to wear. So um, we really appreciate it.
4: No, and I think there's a lot of resources for how you know how to present your research and make a poster. But I think that we don't we don't talk about things like conference fashion that everyone thinks about and everyone <laughs> struggles with. So I, yeah, uh, that's
1: so true. Thank you for
4: you know, topic and you know having having a podcast to to just discuss it because I think it's a really useful resource. Um, my one last piece of advice is when you're packing for conferences, it is always good to, to have a base color in mind. Oh. So that by base, I mean like black or white or brown are generally my, my three options. Usually I go with black because it's easy and it hides the dirt. So um, I basically plan my conference outfits around uh, kind of a neutral color palette, and that's everything from accessories to shoes. And, you know, if, you, if you're if you using kind of a black color scheme, then you really only need one or two pairs of shoes for the whole conference and, you know, maybe a couple undershirts and then um, a couple accessories, and then um, you can swap things out. But that, it makes it a whole lot less overwhelming if you just kind of have a, a, a base color scheme that you're packing against. Mm
0: yeah yeah that's great that's, that's a really actually great tip. Uh,
4: sorry
1: I'll share one last thing that like I uh, was once at um our actually our departmental conference here um at school and um I was drinking hot cocoa and I accidentally I somehow choked on it it was too hot or something and I ended up kind of spinning it out onto <laughs> one of the professors in our department and she was so chill, and she just like wiped it off, and she's like, "This is why I always wear black." So you're just saying like <laughs> um, that it hides
4: the dirt. It also hides if people spill things
1: on you or you spill things on yourself. So
2: um,
4: yeah, I have I've done the opposite and worn white and spilled coffee all over myself. <laughs> <laughs> so which is not an ideal scenario. but Yeah, oh, I guess like pack some of those hide sticks yes. so that you know in case. drastic happens you can at least try to get the coffee stands out much safer
0: if people want to um like follow your work or hear more from you where might they be able to do that i think you're on twitter or if you'd be willing to like share that with us oh
4: yeah yeah of course i think twitter is probably the easiest so i'm happy to answer any follow-up questions um, on twitter my handle is at holly bick h-o-l-l-y-b-i-k and um, yeah, I mean, if anyone wants an updated blog post or any additional information that we didn't talk about uh, on the podcast, um, I'm always happy to, to chat further on online.
0: That's awesome. Thank you. No. Worries.
1: Hello, Boom. We're here with Dr. Taya Fini, who is professor of kinesiology and faculty of sport and health sciences at the Neuromuscular Research Center at the University of Uvascula in Finland.
0: Taya is also the Education Officer of the International Society of Biomechanics. Thanks for talking with us, Taya.
2: Hi, it's good to talk to you.
0: Uh, So we wanted to talk a little bit about conferences. Um, You just mentioned that you just got back from quite a number of conferences. Um, But we actually wanted to ask if you remember your first conference.
2: Yes, I do remember. Um, it was 1997, uh, European College of Sport Science in Copenhagen, in Denmark. After which, directly through Helsinki, we flew to ISB in Tokyo, 1997. So I particularly remember very well the Tokyo ISB.
0: Oh, cool. Oh, I didn't know that, that ISB had ever been held in Tokyo. That sounds pretty cool.
2: Yeah.
1: Do you have any um, particular memories about the conference, whether you liked it or you intimidated anything?
2: <laughs> I remember I presented uh, data from my master thesis and there were all these big names uh, in the audience. I specifically remember meeting Reggie Edgerton there at the first time and I did my postdoc later on with him. Uh, and then I remember uh, meeting Rick Lieber there he asked yeah. me he gave me his card and asked me to send some information about the optic fiber technique that we were using to measure ten damasco forces oh cool so the, like the uh, highlights um, what I remember after being one week in in Tokyo where you don't understand anything (laughs) and then we made a short trip to yokohama where there was a hard rock cafe and that was a western style food and so i just cried it was so exhausting week uh so i was just so relieved that you know to get something familiar after the you know tough week yeah
1: i bet wow what an experience i feel like so um do you feel like Hopefully you don't feel like crying right now after your no. <laughs> conferences that you've just done at. Um, so it seems like you've probably evolved since since that first conference. Do you have any tips and tricks on how best to sort of prepare for conferences and like what do you think has I'm sure a lot has changed since <laughs> that first one, but any anything salient that you want to share?
2: Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm pretty intense. Um intensely involved in conferences where i go to i don't i haven't been really into the congress tourism so much but i'm quite much at the on-site listening to talks and talking to people so it's quite intense week Uh, that way you can get uh lots of the conferences but it can be quite exhaustive as well so uh depending on um uh, what type of person you are you may also want to be um, slightly more relaxed and not plan so heavy schedule uh, but it's good to plan ahead um, like I, what I typically do is I do some program building for myself with the tools available for the many congress organizers have these tools available just to choose few options maybe if Not the best one is found. And and then also uh, play by the ear if you meet some interesting people and and they tip you on, that that is a very good speaker. I can change my plans as well.
0: Yeah, that's great. What about tips and tricks on how to prepare for
2: presentations? Well, the key thing is to prepare and practice your presentation. And maybe... Have a, a trial, try out with your colleagues or, or supervisors and, or friends uh, who can give you some feedback and, and tips on on what to improve and and how how to say things that they are understandable and clear and uh, cons- concisely said.
0: Right. Yeah, that's great. What about like quick like. I don't know, like in the, the hour or the half hour before your presentation, do you, um, are you still typically busy doing things or do you do a, like go somewhere quiet to kind of prepare?
2: Well, I can be nervous the whole week before a presentation. <laughs> <laughs> um, for example, in, in Calgary ISB, I will have a three talks. And, um, wow. I'm I'm sure I will be nervous the whole week um, before those ones, but um, it's just, you know, healthy excitement. As long as you are well prepared and you know what to say and what what the important message is you want to convey to the audience, uh, then you'll be fine, even though you are maybe a bit nervous. So
1: kind of switching gears a little bit to talking about conversation actually at the conferences, um, there was a Stanford study that found that not only are women underrepresented at scientific meetings, but they actually participate less than men in question and answer sections, and they sort of self-limit their involvement and participation. So you mentioned that you actually actively try to see a lot of different people and talk. Um, but what what do you do you have any thoughts on, on this finding, or do you feel that You've observed this in yourself or in others at scientific meetings?
2: Yeah, I can relate to the results. It, it may be quite intimidating to answer or ask questions in front of the big audience or, or comment some points of the presentations, but in you know, a coffee breaks and you know breaks in schedule, it's it's much more easier to approach the speakers and, and ask questions. But certainly I would encourage discussion in the room uh, because that can bring out so much more of the research that was presented as well and, and stimulate uh, scientific debate. So women should also be uh, <laughs> engaged, to the, including me, m- more than I typically do.
0: Yeah, that's that's really great. Thank you. So we had some students that they had questions on just kind of knowing the basics and what to expect and what's expected of a student attending a conference. And so I was kind of wondering your thoughts on, on what's expected of a student that's attending ISB.
2: Well, uh, certainly not just to present your own work, but to learn from others as well. And uh, because Many people are presenting their science that is still not, is not yet available in print or in Twitter, (laughs) Uh, provides you sort of the first hand information about future research. So it's very important to participate and actually go to congresses to hear uh, new uh, and get new ideas where the uh, science is going next.
1: Yeah. Um, Do you find that you do a lot of, like, sort of networking with people at conferences? And do you have any tips on maybe, you know, what to do and maybe what not to do in your experience with networking with people?
2: Typically, scientists are easy to be approached. I have not had uh, any bad experiences in approaching, you know, unknown uh, scientists to ask questions Coffee breaks um, are very good place to just go and approach people and make acquaintances. Well, introduce yourself and, and appropriate to ask, so then what are you doing? What kind of research are you doing if you don't know the person? Uh, that's what I quite often do.
1: Yeah, that's definitely like just the sort of hallmark of Going and actually being present so that you can not only share but also learn. I think you've um, conveyed that really well in, in our conversation here.
0: Yeah, I just had one more uh, question about um, you posted, so on, from your last conferences, you've been posting on Twitter a, a bit about the conferences. And in one of the tweets, you mentioned um, from ISMPB, or I, wait, what is this? I, I, Cam, Pam? I don't know. I can plan. Plan. Yes, it's a
2: <laughs> physical um, activity conference. Yeah.
0: Got it. Okay. You say awesome new friends, great science and warm atmosphere, and I was wondering if you could um explain maybe what kind of contributed to this warm atmosphere and maybe how we might be able to like cultivate something like that um, at ISB.
2: <laughs> a tough one, but I I think it comes sort of naturally when people have curiosity about others and others work. Uh, and if you meet somebody who's excited about, you know, research in, in the topic that you are, you can, you can just go, go on and, and talk and um, create new ideas. That That's a, a friendly atmosphere. And, um, also, so in a sessions, uh, a friendly atmosphere can come from encouraging comments or even critical comments that are given in a positive way. Because in, in some, uh, sort of hardcore science conferences or medical conferences, people can give quite nasty comments. And that's not, you know, it, it's not building, uh, <laughs> building trust and confidence uh so so you have to balance your comments and and try to be uh and try to be give your comments if they are critique in a positive and uh constructive way definitely yeah.
0: do you have any time that you remember getting a comment that was like particularly negative or not um yeah just not very positive positive in how you handled that situation
2: um now i don't remember really uh bad uh comments Um uh, maybe I, just just a, I, I forgot all the bad things and remember just the good things oh,
0: that's good. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome.
1: <laughs> cool um well that's i think that's that's really awesome that you've had um positive experiences it's probably Speaks to a little bit of who you are as well. It sounds like you're very open and open to learning from others and focusing on the positive things. So I think that's that's those are really great things to come away with um, from our conversation too. Yeah.
0: Is there anything about the International Society of Biomechanics conferences that you feel is like different than other conferences?
2: Well, ISB family is sort of a tradition. I've grown. Grown to ISB uh, through my supervisor, Barbara Cormie. So he brought us to conferences like the 97 conference was the first one. Of course, I haven't attended all of them uh, since, but very often. Uh, and um, I, I consider that like a, my scientific home. So I go to other conferences as well, where, you know, you can broaden your perspectives to various fields. But still, I consider ISB sort of my scientific home.
1: Oh, That's really sweet. Yeah, that's really awesome. It'll be, yeah, it'll be my first ISB and Melissa's second. Yeah. Yeah. So we're very new to the
2: family <laughs> oh, you're, you're most welcome
0: yeah thank you <laughs> that's the one thing I always have like really liked about the ISB family is that everyone has been really welcoming and it is a really um, wonderful community to be a part
2: of yes I hope and and, and new people will join uh, and realize that it's uh, worth investing and um, contributing to the society as well.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so thanks for chatting with us today. And in case uh, people have um, any other questions for you or just want to follow you, is there a good social media place like like Twitter, um, your Twitter handle, that they can add you?
2: Yes, I, I am at Twitter, Taya uh spelled together. Okay. Taya
1: Finney. Okay, all together. Great. Um, great. We're going to follow you too. So. And <laughs> Boom will follow. You now that Boom <laughs> has Twitter.
2: Yeah,
0: great. yeah, thank you so much for talking with us. We really appreciate your tips and advice and, and learning from your experiences. Thank you, and see you in
2: Calgary.
1: Yeah, it will be so exciting. Can't wait. So with all of those awesome tips and tricks that we've learned for navigating scientific conferences, we are challenging ourselves to put some to the test as we go forth to Calgary to attend the International Society of Biomechanics conference at the end of the month. So Melissa, what tips do you think you're going to try out
0: at the conference? Yeah, that's a good question. There are a lot of tips that I think I'll try to incorporate. Um, But there are two that really stood out to me as kind of challenging. The first is I'm going to email someone beforehand to meet for coffee. So I'm going to email a professor whose work I'm really interested in and see if we can find a time to uh, meet for coffee. Actually, spoiler alert, I already did this. (gasps) And she, like, immediately replied and was like, yeah, that sounds great. How about this time? And, like, here's my phone number to send me a reminder. And I'm really, really excited. So – I got all worked up for nothing. (laughs) Maybe I'll try to schedule something with another person, too. Um, And then the second challenge I'm going to uh, work on is asking a question at a session. So I haven't actually had the courage to stand up during a session and ask a question before. Um, So that is my challenge to myself. Those are
1: awesome, and I think that I'm excited to see you kind of push your boundaries and and really get at it. So thank you. Good job. What are,
0: what are you going to challenge
1: yourself with? Um, so one of the things that I feel like resounded in all of the different people's interviews that we just talked to was about planning which sessions you actually want to go to at mm-hmm. a conference so that you don't just get there and feel overwhelmed because you can't attend everything um, and sort of just going in and not getting the most you can out of the conference, which I think is something that I have maybe done in the past or just not been as intentional about. So I'd like to really get the booklet, plan out which sessions I want to go to and also try to meet new people at the different sessions and figure out where maybe my threshold is for going to talks and meeting new people and find find that balance so that I um, can be a little bit more reflective and intentional about that in the future. And then kind of going hand in hand with that, um, I would like to sort of perfect my elevator pitch so that when I do meet new people I have mm. something cohesive to say about That's who I am one. and yeah, um, can really just start the conversation on the right foot.
0: Yeah, we can practice our elevator pitches yeah. together. Should we go in an elevator? Yeah, we'll go in an elevator and practice And see if we pitching. can do it. The elevator
1: that we have like right outside this room is only three floors, so We'll have to have – we can, like, try different ones, like ones that take, like,
0: three floors, ones that take ones. <laughs> <laughs> one floor. Yeah, you're only traveling one floor. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do?
1: <laughs> or maybe I'll just pull an elf and just press all the buttons in the elevator
0: so <laughs> people can't step So people long. can't stop, yeah. Yeah, no cheating yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on your elevator pitches. Yeah, well, I really enjoyed talking to all these people. Um, I will say, like, from my experiences at ISB, everyone there has been super welcoming. And so if you're new to the conference, all I would say is just, you know, really – just talk to people. Tell them it's your first time at a conference and ask them what they're most excited about or ask them what they like the most about the conferences or if there's something that you should um, go check out. Um, and continue to talk to people about your research and, and be brave when you talk about you know, your, your research and what you're working on. I've gotten some really good feedback from people mm-hmm. at conferences, just in like casual si- si- uh, situations, just kind of talking about what you're interested in and, and what you're working on. Um yeah. Thanks, Walsa.
1: That's great advice. Yeah,
0: sure. And come find us yes! at the conference. So Boom has a table. Um what am I saying? Boom has a table by the ISB and the ASB tables, which I think are by registration. And we have some fun, 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 fun activities for students, for everyone. Um just to help us be more connected, help us step out of our comfort zones and talk to people that we may not talk to um, otherwise, and just building building our network and support system at ISB, so.
1: Yeah, and we're really excited to meet all of you. We were just looking at some of our Boom Analytics, and it looks like we've got lots of listeners all over the world, so we're really excited to connect with you at the conference.
0: Yeah. Exciting news biomechanics on our minds is now on twitter so you can follow us at biomechanics oom boom was too short and biomechanics on our minds was too long so that's what we're going with and we'll be tweeting out um current episodes tidbits from different episodes and and hoping to start some fun conversations about not just biomechanics but about um science in general and how we can um How can give you guys the best podcast that has content that you want to
1: hear? Yes.
0: See see you in Calgary.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for joining us today on our episode of Boom. If you'd like to reach out with a research fail, any comments, questions, or suggestions for how to make Boom better, please contact us at biomechanicsonourminds at gmail.com.
0: And you can follow the International Society of Biomechanics on Twitter at ISBiomechanics or on Facebook at the International Society of Biomechanics. You can also follow me personally on Twitter at MelissaBoswell underscore.
1: Or me, Hannah O'Day, at Ping.
0: And special thank you to Peter Washington for creating the music for Boom. Biomechanics Biomechanics off our our minds. minds.